Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin podcast. My name is Matt Brusky, and I'm the deputy director here at Citizen Action. And welcome to another week from Wisconsin. That means we have Jorna Taylor. She is with us. She is a nonprofit consultant here in Wisconsin. Jorna, welcome. Welcome, Matt. It's good to see you again. Always. And always, always good. And of course, Robert Craig is always with us here. He's the executive director at Citizen Action Wisconsin. Robert, welcome. Uh, good morning, everyone. So when we left you, it was cold and snowy, and it's cold and snowy again. And wow, there is so much we could talk about here at the podcast. Um, I think most folks know we try to focus on state-level issues for the most part, but uh, there's so much happening with Trump and in particular with the Affordable Care Act that uh, we're going to spend a little bit of time here early in the podcast talking both about briefly about Trump, but also uh, an update on what's happening with the Affordable Care Act and some events that we're going to be having on uh, this weekend in support of the Affordable Care Act with uh, Senator Baldwin and Congresswoman Moore. Uh, we are also going to talk a lot about some state level stuff, Governor Walker's state of the state and some legislation and other things that are moving now that the legislature is back, which of course means lots of good things. Um, we're also going to be joined um, by Mel Barnes from Planned Parenthood of Wisconsin to talk a little bit about what's happening uh, to Planned Parenthood funding uh, as it relates to the Affordable Care Act repeal. Uh, Paul Ryan and the Republicans have come out with some statements about how they really want to go, go after that funding. So uh, Jorna, we'll have some Paul Ryan watch uh, with Planned Parenthood uh, later in the show. But let's get started and let's talk about uh, Donald Trump. <laughs> it's, he, he did a press conference this week that is surreal and I think was fitting, probably worthy of sort of preparing us for what's about to happen next week after the inauguration. Um, wow. I mean, it was it was the strangest, probably one of the strangest presidential press conferences, at least in my lifetime. I'm sure there were some very strange ones way back in the day <laughs> when there was no TV to actually no, not, capture the behavior. No, not so much. If you know the history, they uh, were to be off the record. And in fact, the first one uh, was a mistake. Woodrow Wilson didn't know he was calling it, but then they kept doing it. Well, look, let's get right to it. CNN was not around back in those days. So, Jorna, I'm, that's a pretty normal way to treat CNN. I mean, whatever your feelings are about CNN, it certainly is a fairly mainstream news organization. Very odd. Fake news, huh? Wrong. <laughs> CNN is not mainstream. It's fake news. When I see CNN come up in my Facebook feed or when I go to look for something that's happening on the international front, I don't go to CNN. I mean, it's fake news. They wouldn't report the real things. So, so yeah, so Donald Trump, president-elect Donald Trump calls CNN fake news. And in an attempt to not just make this a snarky comment about um, the president-elect, the disappointing part about this, though, is that actually there was no defense of CNN from any of the other media counterparts. Excellent point. Um, that they sort of, that everybody was maybe just so shell-shocked, I don't know, that this had happened, but it sets a really bad precedent, too, from all of our media outlets when they are going to allow this to stand as well and not, and not come to the defense of a major mainstream media, you know, form of media that people are consuming on an everyday basis. So um, it does not bode well for the future of press conferences and for the future of how the news is going to report on the president-elect. 
soon yeah. to be president. I thought there was something telling because they started with a Mike Pence presenta- brief presentation before the orange one came up. And Pence said, uh, while he had always been a supporter of freedom of the press, uh, with freedom came responsibility. I love like it was like a, a position that somehow might be controversially might be against freedom of the press. And then there was some suggestion that it might be modified in some way if the press was irresponsible. So I thought that was fairly amazing. I don't know if it's in the First Amendment, uh, Vice President Penn. So that was all interesting. Uh, there were two interesting things going on in the press, in the, in the presser, as, I would, as <laughs> Jordan would call it, but the, uh, Old the presidential press conference. And that is, first of all, this is like out of a spy novel, okay? And what is a progressive to say? The hysteria coming from the military and the defense establishment, intelligence establishment now about Russia is over the top. In other words, I think it's a concern that Russia tried to tamper in the elections, but we don't want a war with Russia either, right? And I think Hillary was too hawkish on Russia. So that's from a progressive standpoint. But then on the other hand, you have almost like it's out of some sort of spy novel, right? The leaking of information that not only did Russia hack and try to influence the election, want to elect Trump, but that they had that they were in communication with the Trump campaign, which would make it high crimes and misdemeanors, just to be clear. That's like incredibly explosive. And that they have compromising information on Mr. Trump. Now, and then, of course, in most cases, that level of scandal, I mean, that's a 10 out of 10, right, would fell most politicians. Imagine um, most uh, presidents trying to explain that information. But Trump turns into a carnival and goes back on the attack and is not necessarily damaged and attacks the whole media Attack, he's been attacking the, the CIA and all the intelligence agencies, which he's about to run. I mean, the whole, that whole part is bizarre, okay, and weird. And out of, uh, maybe, it, maybe it's more out of, um, what's the Netflix series on, with the uh, right-wing uh, president? So oh. you have heard of that. Oh. oh, you're talking about House of Cards. Yes, it's a Southern Democrat. I apologize, uh, but that's in his case, pretty much the same thing. They're all Republicans now. But anyway, uh, <laughs> they are if they're elected, Jorna. So it's, it's always good to just have Robert with us on Thursday morning. Keep going, Robert. I'm sorry. <laughs> Your pop culture update from Robert Craig. <laughs> so there's that. It's beyond a Hollywood screenplay. Yeah. Uh, as bizarre. And then the second thing is this uh, press conference was supposed to be about all the conflicts of interest and their plan for that. They get overshadowed by the other bizarre and crazy story. But now we had the lawyer with all sorts of documents and stacks of things. And now they're going to hand over control to the Trump children. But Donald will still know what's going on with the company. It's not blind in any way. We have all these ethics experts getting on media talking about how this is inappropriate, da-da-da-da. And Trump taking the position, which is actually potentially, I mean, not potentially, is contradicted by the Constitution. The president can do whatever he wants, and there are no conflicts of interest when it comes to the president, which is what was argued after we'd gotten all over all this stuff about the compromising information the Russians have on Trump and the Trump campaign especially potentially working with the Russians. There's so much to unpack just this week with Trump. I Look, the reason I'm glad we focused on the press conferences, look, I, I think in all seriousness, you start to see the, the makings of how you begin authoritarian kind of 
rule in terms of the way he handled CNN. And Jorna, you mentioned in the way everyone just sort of sat there, right? Like everyone kind of knows this is wrong and weird. <laughs> yeah, but like, does this get more the norm, right? And I can tell you, I saw conservatives on Facebook cheering Trump for this behavior, right? So there's, there is a definite market for this, right? But it is, it is the scary, slippery, very slippery slope uh, when you're talking about the press and the mainstream, right? CNN, please, come on, right? This is not, this is very mainstream, right? Not some liberal witch hunt kind of well, a media service. The um, tactic here is bullying. Well, and bullying and a works. weak institution. Is the media is very weak The right media, now. he's bullying the intelligence agencies, right? And uh, quite frankly, he bullied um, every other candidate, uh, particularly all the Republicans in the primary, the, the, the various interactions with them. Hillary stood up to him much better than, say, Jeb Bush did or uh, Marco Rubio did. Uh, but, of course, I think there was some sexism in how that played. But, quite, in other words, it should have benefited her more. Uh, but... I think bullying is not just a Trump thing. It is also a conservative uh, political tactic right now. It's what happened with James Comey, quite frankly. He got bullied into doing something that was highly unethical that helped uh, change the election results. Yeah. So, but we got to see right here that this is going to continue, that anyone who challenges Trump, and I know we're not to healthcare yet, but the reporting is, is that the reason the doctors and the hospitals and the insurance companies and the pharmaceutical industry and everyone who will be damaged by this are being so quiet is they're afraid if they offend the congressional Republicans and Trump, they'll be damaged in other ways and so they're being quiet so this has its well, impact that's, that's my point right that's where we go with this as an authoritarian that's why i wanted to talk it talk about that before we because we're gonna have to put a bow on donald trump other than we're gonna move right into the affordable care act which he's directly involved in do have to say on all the unbelievable confirmation hearings which people need to pay attention to and listen go back or at least look at the highlights right you mentioned rubio i mean shout out to him on going after Rex Tillerson on on whether Putin's a war criminal. I mean, I think it's pretty clear Rubio's not going to just stay silent, right? Like, I don't really agree with this guy on much, but, I mean, geez, he took on ExxonMobil and Trump and everybody all in one day. But, um, geez, he was, he was very clear, though, right? Very clear about what a war criminal is and isn't. Um, which was fascinating. Anyways, we I, I want to move on to healthcare, Robert. Uh, Jorna, before we bring on Planned Parenthood to talk a little bit more deeply about the aspect of how they're going to be implicated in this repeal. Um, we talked a lot about it last week, but it, as of we record Thursday morning, Wednesday night, the Senate passed the first sort of step in setting about reconciliation, setting about the process where we can repeal it and then who knows what. Right. So, and we're going to do a lot more as an organization to know, make sure people know every step in this process, because if it, if really the Republican strategy is people not to understand what took place. And so if it occurs in silence and the public doesn't know what's happening step by step, then they can get away with it. It's a great train robbery in many ways, throwing 30 million people off their health care, basically, among, and raising costs substantially and moving away from the idea that someone should be able to go to somewhere to get health care no matter what. And so 
we had the vote. Now, there's been all sorts of, this gets back to the bullying, Matt. There's been all sorts of hand-wringing by various Senate Republicans about this, about needing to slow it down, needing to actually have a replacement. We've had Lamar Alexander. We've had the Freedom, Freedom Caucus in the House. We've had all sorts of various, uh, we've even had Ron Johnson saying you can't just repeal it. Uh, and uh, his office is referring people to press statements he made on a Fond du Lac radio station to that effect. Yet when it came down to the first vote, which basically instructs the budget committees to take all the money. And by the way, how do you do a replacement without any of the money, right? So they're going to take the money for the Medicaid expansion, the money for the, the tax credits to make premiums affordable. So there is no, even if you believe in, that conservatives have real health plans, they aren't without money. I mean, it's like the law of gravity, right? I mean, literally, if you push someone off a ledge, they're going to fall. And so that's what we're talking about here. And so it's interesting, though, that there was only one uh, defector. It was Rand Paul. And Rand Paul's going to announce his own plan, which is probably going to scare the heck out of us. So I'm not saying Rand Paul is on our side. But all of these people who are quietly, and not all of them uh, for attribution, saying that it shouldn't be done this way, this is very perilous, and they're worried about their own constituents, not so much when it comes to standing up and taking the vote. The Rand Paul plan. There will be zero health care. We will eliminate doctors, and it'll just be like the dark ages around here. We'll get back to leeches for bloodletting and Well, Rand like is a doctor, so maybe right. doctors will only go house to house with little black bags, <laughs> <laughs> and you will have to pay them thousands of dollars to come and otherwise So, you know, in all seriousness, though, I, I know I've referenced many, many times that you know, I am a person who buys healthcare on the exchange and it is so horrifying to watch this happen and it is it is horrifying to think of what's going to happen to my ability to pay to my ability to have any pre-existing conditions that I may have covered um, my ability to have any reproductive services covered and anything else as I enter into a more, you know, quote, at risk category as a woman of a certain age. <clears throat> we won't say what age that is. Uh, but at any rate, this is just really, you know, in the dark of night, they're just going to try and take away my health care. And that's really scary for me. It's really scary. And I'm someone who can afford health care. Right. So this is even scarier for folks and families that can't. <laughs> Yes, and people actually believe because Republicans lied to them and Trump lied to them, people who voted for Trump, that this is going to lower their health care costs and make it more accessible and affordable. They've actually run on progressive values. Now, our various media gurus would say that that's a great disaster and that's why progressives lose. I just want to point out that the entire Republican strategy, conservative strategy, since the 2012 loss developed by the Koch brothers has been, we're going to embrace their values and say we want all these things. Hence, Scott Walker saying he wants everyone who wants a job to get one, right? And then have our ridiculous regressive policies that simply give more money to the wealthy and cut everything off as the solutions and hoping no one sees the difference. And that's what we're going to see with the Affordable Care Act here. And it really is a challenge to democracy fundamentally, because if you can win elections and then succeed in doing things that, are, that, that should be dramatically unpopular as far as what people want and get away with it, then what democracy is left? If people don't know and understand what the consequences of the actions of the people they elect are, in what sense it is, a, is it a democracy at all? And so that's what we're seeing right now. So this is a huge challenge. There's one other thing I want to say on this, and Media Matters, shout out to them. Did you see, see this, Matt? They did a whole analysis 
of uh, the coverage of the Affordable Care Act repeal and pointed out, especially eviscerating the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, that there's been no discussion, there's been little discussion, quite frankly, of the real implications, but there's no discussion of the racial disparities in all of this and how this is going to harm uh, African Americans especially more than anyone else, and this is like absent. It's not part of the conversation, and so this is actually should be understood in terms of the overall racial racial politics that reared its ugly head in this last election with Trump. Yeah, that that report was not only did it raise that very specifically, Robert. It it, it spoke very generally also to the fact that it was poorly covered. It's been poorly covered pretty much since uh, Trump's election in terms of just educating people about what the Republicans are even talking about. They referenced only one article in the state journal where they even talked about what kind of Republicans are talking about as possibilities for replacement, talked in detail about kind of what happens if people lose their health care. The reason this is important is the misinformation, right? There is so much misinformation about this actual uh, legislation. It's unbelievable. And it's not helpful when the media kind of lays down because they just assume this is happening and they really only cover the horse race aspect of it because it's exciting, right? It's exciting to interview Trump and these people these days. It's much more interesting than actually going through the details, which is incredibly important for people to understand what's at stake. NPR today had a, a a poll that they were releasing that said over half of the Amer of Americans don't even know that the Affordable Care Act has increased the amount of people who actually have access to health care and decreased that we're actually at record historic levels of the amount of uninsured in this country. And that is the fundamental thing that this thing does, right? It doesn't actually really does things to reduce costs, but it it's provided coverage to millions of Americans, and that is fundamentally not even understood. So uh, it, that, that's very disturbing. Uh, to address that, we are going to be part of trying to get the word out. We're doing a ton of stuff trying to organize within our membership or organizing cooperatives. And this weekend, we're having some a number of rallies around the state uh, that we are coordinating with uh, U.S. senators around the country, including Bernie Sanders. Uh, here in Milwaukee, we'll be having an event at Candelera's Banquet Hall, which is on uh, 2500 West National. We'll have links to all of this, but at 1130, we're going to be doing a rally with uh, Senator Tammy Baldwin. State Rep, or excuse me, uh, U.S. Rep uh, Gwen Moore will also be there, really talking about the importance uh, of health coverage. And, you know, this, this opens up the whole dialogue again, how we need to make sure everybody has access to affordable health care. We'll also be doing events in Appleton. There's an event on Saturday at uh, 11 a.m. And we'll be doing other events on Sunday in Waukesha, Eau Claire, Wausau. And I think there's an uh, event in La Crosse. We'll have links to all of that on our webpage. So we are going to continue to cover this issue each week and sort of where this is going to make sure we can educate we'll the public. And we'll the Madison event, which is on Monday. Oh, excellent. That's right. Also the Madison event. Obviously, there's tons of other events going on around resisting Trump. Excellent events. Um, and we really want to encourage people to get out and get involved in a lot of what's going on and to not just be silent and sort of let this Trump administration just sort of happen to us. So with that, we want to dive deeper into 
what is at stake for Planned Parenthood and access to women's health here in Wisconsin, but nationally as related to the repeal of the Affordable Care Act? Uh, Paul Ryan has been very outspoken and other Republicans that they want to cut funding from Planned Parenthood. So we're really glad to have our first guest, actually our only guest today. Uh, we like guests. We like to pretend we have multiple guests. Yes, and we have four hours to fill. No. Um, look, we're really happy to have Mel Barnes. Mel Barnes is the legal and, po- uh, legal and policy associate with Planned Parenthood of Wisconsin. Mel, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So we wanted to have you on because we're not sure everybody fully appreciates what what's at stake here and that this is even happening. And we want to make sure that all of uh, progressive activists around the state are well aware of uh, what the Republicans are planning. So give give us, you know, an overview of what's at stake and what they're saying. That's a great question. Um, Speaker Paul Ryan's measure that he is supporting now would end access to really critical preventative care for people who rely on Medicaid for their insurance, including a lot of people here in Wisconsin. Um, But I want to kind of set the stage by making it clear what we're talking about when Paul Ryan says that he wants to defund Planned Parenthood. Um, The federal government doesn't just give Planned Parenthood a check or a block of money to operate our health centers and to see patients. Um, What we're talking about is blocking Medicaid patients from accessing care at Planned Parenthood of Wisconsin, meaning that low-income people in our state wouldn't be able to use their insurance at our health centers. And the way that we are reimbursed by Medicaid is it really is a reimbursement for services that we already provide to to patients. It's not just a grant or something like that that we would be losing. Could you could you let our listeners know a little bit about how many patients we're talking about, for example, in Wisconsin, that, that might uh, impact? Absolutely. The number in Wisconsin is really huge. 50,000 of the 60,000 patients that we see annually have all or part of their services covered by Medicaid. So it's really a huge number, including a lot of people in Speaker Paul Ryan's district who rely on us for care. So I'm just going to ask, it would be like... Uh, banning another any medical provider It'd be like banning Aurora from Medicaid, the the, hosp- the health system. Except in this case, a higher percentage of the caseload is actually uh, uses Medicaid. But it's, it's literally like like uh, blacklisting a particular medical provider. Exactly, Planned Parenthood is reimbursed for services that we provide under Medicaid, just like any other healthcare provider. Again, it's not a grant or a block of money. These are actual healthcare services that we're providing to patients. And then those patients are having their insurance billed just like anyone else and any other provider would do. Thanks for joining us today, Mel. Um, All of this is just so fascinating to me as somebody who has used Planned Parenthood services in many of the different states that I've lived in because it is absolutely reliable, trustworthy reproductive and healthcare services that I know I can count on as I'm working on campaigns or for different organizations. And so this sort of attack is is ridiculous. I, I have this image as you're talking of the uh, federal government providing you with one of those like giant fake checks, you know, that you see that says like, this is your federal money for abortion services uh, at some big rally. I mean, this is just so, so ridiculous. And it is incredibly disheartening to me that so many men and women um, and and children and families would lose access to these services, um, particularly in the places where there aren't any other options for them. 
Exactly. And I think your question brings up a couple of really good things. Um, first, I want to make it clear that federal money does not go towards abortion services. What we're talking about is all preventative health care services, like birth control, cancer screenings, STD testing and treatment, things like that that people rely on that we are able to bill Medicaid for, not abortion services. These are things that we should all be able to agree about that keep Wisconsin healthy, regardless of how anyone feels about the abortion services. And you also mentioned that a lot of places, people don't have somewhere else to go. It's absolutely true. 50% of the counties where Planned Parenthood provides health care services have no alternate provider to turn to if Planned Parenthood Health Center closes. Well, I mean, when the numbers that you stated in terms of here in Wisconsin, I mean, does this functionally cripple Planned Parenthood's ability to provide services statewide? I mean, it, it, it sounds like it, that's essentially what it does. Is, I mean, is it, is, it that, is it that devastating? Yeah, I want to be clear that Paul Ryan's measure is an absolutely extreme one. A law like this would decimate our ability to provide care for patients across Wisconsin. And we're ready to fight it with all that we've got. We are certainly fighting back starting already, but this is really serious. I just want to say that I feel really confident and um, good about the fact that Paul Ryan, a man who has access to great health care, is making choices for my reproductive lady parts and my health care services. I, I just I feel like he's got my best interests at heart as a conservative. <laughs> yeah, Jorna loves Paul Ryan, if you can't tell. She, she just <laughs> big love for him. I think she's still a, she's still actually giving money to his campaign opponent. The guy who rides the motorcycle. Oh, Paul <laughs> oh, no, no, there was a Democrat too. So, look, uh, back in all seriousness, you guys, you mentioned that Planned Parenthood. Thank God you're here. You're ready for the fight. What should people do? What should our listeners do if they want to get involved in Planned Parenthood? Because we really want to urge all of our listeners now's the time to get involved, donate money, do actions, get active in Planned Parenthood. How do they do that? Absolutely. We are really excited to have people across the state join us in holding Paul Ryan accountable. And there are a ton of ways that you can support Planned Parenthood and help fight back against this measure. Um, you can donate to our website, either ppwi.org for health services or ppawi.org if you want to support our advocacy efforts. Um, we also have several events coming up, including an event that we're co-hosting with partner organizations after the Women's March on the Capitol on January 21st. Um, we'll be at Lucille off the square from 3 to 6 doing short advocacy trainings and providing some networking opportunities for local activists who want to be more involved. Well, that's great, and we will provide uh, some of those links on our webpage too. But look, folks, you know, now's the time. It's an amazing organization. I mean, the services are indispensable. It's incredibly disturbing to hear um, that they can do this and get away with it. Uh, Robert, I think you, you said it accurately. It's just dis straight out discrimination against Planned Parenthood. Uh, so, folks, please get involved. Uh, and, and then on top of that, there are many areas where it's the only provider. Yeah. So, it's, so it's not like there are other options, even if you were justified that. So it's taking away 
even access to, to the, these health services entirely from the population. And women trust Planned Parenthood. As <laughs> yeah. a woman, yeah. I trust Planned absolutely. Parenthood to have my best interests in mind. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> like the name instills trust. Yeah, yep. Well, again, and that's why uh, you guys are absolutely the right folks to lead this fight and why people need to get behind you uh, in this fight. So Mel, we really appreciate you taking the time to join us today. I don't know if there's anything else you want to leave us with. I just want to say that while it is certainly a frightening time for our patients and supporters and that this measure would really decimate our ability to provide care in Wisconsin, we are ready for the fight. We've been in Wisconsin for 80 years and we're looking forward to our next 80 here. Well, Great. Thank you so much for uh, educating our listeners and uh, giving them opportunities uh, to, to, to fight back uh, in, in this bizarre time of Trump. So thank you, Mel. Thank you guys so much. Thanks for everything you're doing. Okay, great. All right. So we absolutely have to get back on state issues. It's 30 minutes and in, and we're finally getting to, uh, to the state level. But big week this week, uh, Governor Walker had a state of the state address, which I know... Jorna, you were busy at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, put it on, we're listening to it. I know Robert was. I was on a conference call. I had to listen to it later. But the State of the State had a number of nuggets in it that I think are going to uh, obviously be uh, a key to what we can expect in the budget. Jorna, what are the, your top takeaways from the State of the State? Uh, so I, I did sit with rapt attention and watch it on Wisconsin Eye. Um, I think that there he alluded to a lot of things that have clearly poll tested uh, quite well. One of the things that was really interesting that he talked at length and led with a m- number of times was education, higher education in particular. Um, but people he, like that. People, people like higher education. But, you know, he said he was going to that we were going to fully fund public education, meaning um, PK-12, and that we were going to cut tuition at the UW system. I think that's an interesting, while I'm all in favor of more access to affordable uh, public higher education, of course, being a United Council alum myself, uh, that is that is curious how that is going to happen. And he really touted his creds on freezing UW tuition over the past couple of biennium. And to be clear, Jordan, there were no details really offered about how this was going to be funded or were there... None. There were no details and we're going to increase funding for technical colleges again and all of these things and job training and and all of this happiness. Um, Do you get a horse too? I mean, I don't know. Maybe. Free? Million dollars in a pony for everybody. Free horses. (laughs) But one of the things that he kept saying, which I watched for this, was the quote of the speech of the state of the state was working and winning for Wisconsin. So that poll tested language was clearly what had popped. And you know what? I like it working we're, we're doing something and we're winning we're making actual change and you know i i like it but there was also a lot of winking that was going on to people in the gallery so i really like it's you know winking and winning in wisconsin for walker <laughs> he definitely repeated working and winning over and over yep he repeated the names of joshua jerry ryan jeff Amy, Gavin, Matthew, winking Caitlin, at them every Brianna, time. Maddie, Joy, Jeff, Patricia. That's just a few of the names I caught while I was uh, uh, listening to it. I mean, look, he it was classic Walker in the style where you have people, supposed real Wisconsinites out there that show you're working and winning. And so it was constant efforts to show not only this, that we're going to give away education, we're going to 
it's going to be cheaper and it's not going to we're not going to raise any any taxes but that the economy right that he's going to fix the workforce problem too seem to be a part of it uh any other thoughts uh Jordan, before i go to robert uh i mean we also shouldn't we would be remiss if we didn't say that his talk about um reforming w2 was scary really scary yep. so we are going to kick more people off of any sort of um support systems that we have in the state and of course, we're going to do that under the guise of we're just trying to help lift people up and we've got the lowest record numbers of uh, unemployed and things like that. Uh, so something bad is coming. And interesting <laughs> that, you know, that that happened on the day where we had the federal uh, official come out and basically say that his plan to drug test everybody who's on welfare, essentially, or anyone who's trying to uh, move through the program. Uh, is illegal and he immediately called on trump to fix that for me buddy just go fix it because they do a lot of winning robert your thoughts on the state of well, the state you missed one name other than ryan josh and josie and everything and that was <laughs> I, I know I was, packers packers uh, oh yes, yes. well you know yes. Go, Woo! go yes it's hard which, to argue with that one which you know uh, reflects well on the governor. If the Packers do well, it must be because of the governor of the state. So, but Robert, I actually, I specifically have a question for you. Mm -hmm. I, I want to get your thoughts to Walker's comments about healthcare, right? In particular, he talked about Medicaid. He talked about how they did it different. That we're the bastest in the nation in healthcare coverage. We're the best for coverage, and that that includes like twenty some states that took the Medicaid money. It sounds like everything's wonderful here. Why? What's what's the problem? Well, and this is a broader problem that established incumbents in both parties have, and there's actually a, some overlap between Obama's farewell speech later that night. That's why the state of the state was moved, and Walker's speech, and that is everything's rosy and wonderful because he's governor. So I just thought Ron Johnson just ran on the fact that it's a healthcare nightmare in Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. And that's a complete disaster and crash and burn. But according to Walker, everything's great. And it's great that we were given away half a billion dollars a year in federal money and because it, it made an even better system. And things are terrible over in Minnesota. Uh, God yeah. forbid we should have actually comparative statistics on that or actual comparison of costs and access and insured rates and anything like that. And so it's the same sort of thing. So in the economy, everything's great. Right. It's incredible. And in fact, we've done so well on jobs. He's moving to workforce. Right. So it's the same kind of thing. I think it's problematic for him because I don't think people think things are hunky dory and great. The polling shows people think that the state's going in the wrong direction. And then the other thing, and this is the post 2012 kind of Koch brother correction, is to embrace progressive values and worldview but then to offer their right-wing solutions to it, right? So who could be against workers having more skills and having better education so that people have more, more, more choices, basically, and more economic options? And let me say something Walker would hate, more bargaining power with employers, right? But that's, there's no policy to back that up, really. And in fact, just the term workforce, if you want to unpack it, right, suggest the workforce as some sort of raw material, like steel, you know, like other things in manufacturing processes that the real people behind Governor Walker want 
in order to make profit. In fact, what they really want is a flood of people so they can pay them less, Look, which is if you right want to unpack what's going on here. But say something on that. What I talk about higher ed too, Matt, but go ahead. And- yeah, I was going to say, we talked about this last week uh, with Representative Genrich, right? The worker, uh, you know, the skills gap and that there's all these amazing high paying jobs out there that workers are just sitting on the sidelines. It's just, it's not what's going on, right? I mean, they are trying to flood what is a rapidly growing low-wage service sector, right, with, with, as Jorna mentioned it, they're trying to put people out from W-2, they're trying to push people out, right? We'll talk even more about some shocking things that they're trying to do to add to the labor force, but, I mean, this is really what they're about. Look, they talk about it, you mentioned a 15-year low unemployment rate, right, you know, in that uh, there's more jobs now in Wisconsin than we've ever had, right? But Which is fun, uh, you know, junk data. We well, also course. have more there's, people than we've ever had before, it's, it's dude. Ridiculous. And so, but but think about it, right? You have over 50% of African-American men of prime working age in Milwaukee are not employed. Uh, our northern counties, because it's a real issue, well, are depopulating because the kids can't get any jobs there, right? Even the, the kids who grew up there and love the area and want to stay there. And he says we can move beyond the jobs question to the workers as an input in the machine question. And by the way, the policies don't even improve the workforce. You don't improve the workforce by gutting the UW system, by cutting the tech colleges, and by dramatically cutting uh, uh, K-12. And by the way, all of these f- billions in savings he's saying in the speech in taxes, well, where did that come from? It came from the UW system. It came from our K-12 system. It came from our tech colleges. And so it makes no sense. It's just like the uh, uh, Trump promising that you'll have better health care for repeal Obamacare. It's the same kind of uh, propagandistic argument, which is detrimental to any democratic discussion of what we want to do in this state and, and, and what we really all believe in. And as far as UW, here's where we need to be really thoughtful about how we talk about this and more than we have been. Uh, he, he can do a, a reduction in tuition, which sounds very progressive, doesn't it, by taking it out of the UW. Right. Well, that's... And why can he do that? Because you can't ask the average legislator off the top of their head what the UW budget's overall aggregate size is and by taking that amount out what damage it would do to the UW so it's not visible to the public and so of course if you actually want to have a great UW system that's all also affordable you would need to use tax dollars but those are off the table because Walker has pegged his whole career to I'll never raise taxes ever but he also knows that people want things like more affordable college so then he takes it out of the UW system, but we can't make it clear to people yet what that does to the UW system. Now, the UW is trying to fight back with ads and online conversations and everything else, but all what the state of the state said to me is he's doubling down on his war against one of the great things we've invested in over the years. And by the way, as progressives, because I don't hear this coming from Democrats, we need a plan to make college affordable, which is which also deals with the uh, uh, skyrocketing costs of college education. So it's both true that across the board, gigantic cuts to UW damage higher education and that our, our, our colleges and universities have been unaccountable and have raised tuition. Uh, the only thing that's gone up faster is healthcare costs. And so progressives need a plan to deliver affordable, high quality education to every, every student, actually make it free, but then also to deal with the, co- the, the cost inflation in higher education. You're not hearing that from progressive Democrats either. 
I want to follow up more talking a bit about the economy and because uh, it's a way to talk about some legislation that we need to break and discuss on this podcast that, Robert, I believe you... We, need, we don't need an improved economy, though. But anyway, <laughs> well, going against Walker, okay, we, we, got, we still got issues. <laughs> so you got a solution. So we mentioned earlier when Jorna was talking uh, about, about welfare and, um, and uh, that system... There is a bill that is circulating that is scary, scary, right, um, that actually would bring back child labor. It's, in fact, it's very explicit. It even changes the language that we use to talk about employing minors or to, to that we talk about where we actually call it child labor to just changing it to the employment of minors. Robert, I, you, you need to tell us more about the details of this bill, but obviously this is, um, they, they take us very small issue and blow it up to essentially um, make a child labor legal, which is fascinating. Tell us more. Well, this is from Representative Loudenback. So it's circulating for co-sponsorship. We do not know uh, how many people will sign on. Uh, but it creates child labor, it talks about child labor permits. So apparently under current law in Wisconsin, if a teen is going to work who is underage, they need to have a permit signed by their parent. And the bill, uh, the, the circulating memo says that this is a problem for homeless teens because they don't have a parent to sign on and it would help them to get work experience. And so therefore, we're going to say that you don't need a work permit anymore in order to work. Now, I mean, this is bizarre. It also def redefines the term child labor and makes it uh, minors, uh, empl employed which minors. Which is unbelievable, right? They're actually euphemism. quite, I mean, it just reveals what they're up to. So here. you just wonder who's asking for this. If I, if basically if, if there are a lot of homeless teens trying to work and unable to work, then maybe we should address the homeless teens problem just saying, and I'm wondering what basis... I'm sure work is been, not their biggest issue right now. there reports from the representative district or all over the state of homeless teens being denied the ability to work, right? Uh, maybe we should actually deal with homelessness. Uh, but beyond that, um, who is really asking for this? And you really wonder whether this is coming from the fast food industry or other sort of corporate donors that want to be able to more easily employ children with the parents' consent or not. But it's amazing, even if you believe this is a problem, that the solution is uh, rather that because they should be in school. We're at the same time claiming that if you don't have a tech college degree or, or a college degree, you have no chance in this economy. But on the one hand, on the other hand, we're saying it's going to be great if we just allow the homeless teens to work and they'll be able to become great people like Republican state legislators if we do that. Well, and because they are teens, we should probably lower the minimum wage for them as well because they don't need to Good live point. on as much, right? Maybe they're drafting that now. <laughs> This yeah. is ridiculous. Of course, look, this... I believe there's been no press coverage, by the way, None. that I've seen. Shocker. Yeah. Look, I... I Fake I, news anyway. We're, we're going we're gonna to work on this one, because this one's unbelievable, right? As you mentioned, Robert, this is not what I would think of as the first problem that we need to address for, for homeless teens issue, which, by the way, is a big issue. It is a big issue. Uh, talk to any educator... Uh, in, in, in a school district at that level. And you, you've got tons of people moving around, right, which also does lead to homelessness. But let's, let's address that, right? And geez, even if it were really jobs that needs to be addressed, could we narrowly address homeless teens in a waiver there? But instead, no. 
everybody know we just basically make it legal right for everybody it's just it's it's not what's going on this is not driven by concern for homeless teens but i highly recommend this this book's got a lot of attention is matthew desmond's book evicted uh harvard sociologist who has a uw madison phd who spent three years studying homelessness in milwaukee it's the book's been a national sensation and it's it's specifically about how the private eviction, the private rental market, and how exploitive it is, and how it's extracting money from low-income people while making them incredibly insecure and damage their kids immensely. So this is must-reading for Wisconsin progressives. And I got to say, I just finished it on Sunday night. Um, those who think that Robert is just, you know, always the higher form of literary li- literature when That's I'm reading just... when I'm reading about, you know, vampires and things. Um, <laughs> I just finished it, and it's it's an easy read. It's not, I mean, it's not like complicated language. It is. A devastating portrayal of what happens in our urban centers and as I drive around Milwaukee now I mean I knew it was bad I had zero idea just how atrocious and this cycle is so everybody really does need to read evicted and how much profit is being extracted from it so this is literally just like payday lending just like uh, the health insurance industry before the Affordable Care Act, this is all designed to pull what what money is left out of low-income people and left leave them destitute and homeless. Yeah, yeah, no, and and look, like I said, talk to educators, right? They're the ones who deal with, and and that's what really we need to be talking about, right? You mentioned Robert, you know, we these folks need an education like everybody else, every other kid, right? And so, you know, going and addressing the jobs issue is not it, but it's really about them trying to fill this this quote worker shortage for these low wage jobs uh, that quite frankly uh, people aren't willing to pay what they ought to be worth right now. Actually, Ripsev Loudback has answered that in her memo. Uh, sure, providing these young people with an opportunity for legal gainful employment, I guess, as opposed to ungainful employment, so they can complete and legal as opposed to other illegal yes, things that homeless teens, she assumes, are doing, can complete their education and become self supporting adults. And will reduce their risk for negative outcomes. So apparently when they're working, they'll also be completing their education, just FYI. And that's why all teens, 16 to 18, need to be freed from their parents mm-hmm. and need to be allowed the to work. The kids signing up, Matt, Anyways, are you losing control? Yeah. So look, we, we have one other issue that we want to uh, talk about, Robert, and it got some attention last week, and that was Walker's very splashy announcement about how he was called a special session. We're going to... We're after the opiate epidemic here in the state. And uh, we had some response. We're obviously very happy that this critical health issue is being addressed because that's what it is. It's a, it's a health a medical issue uh, that is creating havoc and has been for generations, right? Um, but increasingly now there's a lot of attention on it. So Walker had a big splashy event, going to go out. We're, we wanted to raise some concerns around what he's proposing, even though we think, obviously, it's important to, to, to start talking about this in a very serious way. Some details, Robert. Well, it fits into the framework I've been uh, talking about before. That is, Walker identifies a big issue of public concern and then offers virtually nothing other than window dressing to resolve it and then poses around saying that he's working on it. So if opiate and heroin abuse are an epidemic which is the language the press is using and the politicians are using of both parties, which I think it is, right? If we had a, it's not just a metaphor because substance use is a medical condition, okay? Then think about if we had a malaria outbreak across the state or Ebola or any really scary disease, would we be having 
these little packages of small ball solutions will be going out and freaking preventing it from spreading. That's what we're talking about here. And so you have things in here like uh, creating a position in the Department of Health Services that will develop a strategic plan on opiate, on the opiate epidemic. Well, we're, we're years in here. We're just going to employ one person. He has 80,000 people working for him in state government. You'd think we would already be working on a strategic plan, just for example, right? And so one thing we've been working on that would do a lot of good, because we need to see this in terms of prevention, right? It, it's a medical condition and, they're, and a public health issue, and therefore prevention is the most effective thing, right? It's something called screening brief intervention referral to treatment, where you screen, and this came up, um, uh, experts in Madison came up with this. It's now a national model other states are pursuing. And what you do is you do a, a screening of every Wisconsin high school student. To be clear, a screening is not... A drug testing. Right. No, right? no. I'm well, like an interview. I just want to make sure that people understand so it's that. Like a, it's a chat. It's literally a chat. I don't think everyone gets that, though. With every student. Mm -hmm. And if an issue develops, then it kicked down and there's further discussion, potentially a brief intervention where there's a discussion of what's going on. If they're already using and are addicted, then directly to treatment, okay, which is a very small percentage of the young Correct. people. And so this is a way to have contact with every single young person, uh, prevent it where it can be prevented, deal with it early when it can, and when it's already a full-blown addiction, deal with that right away. And so Latanya Johnson, the state representative from Madison, she developed this as a state representative from Milwaukee, excuse me, uh, has championed this, and she came up with a universal program to do this. It would cost a million dollars for the state to train people in school districts and about $820,000 a year for the school district to employ people to do this on a full-time basis. So moving forward, because you don't have to train as much in future years, maybe a million dollars a year. Walker does take up Espert, but he puts in $100,000, which is what it would cost to, let's, uh, let's face it, employ one registered nurse for a year for the whole state, if you want to think about how much $100,000 is. So it's a perfect example where it's in there, but it's not to scale, and it's not. And if he's serious, it's an epidemic, which we all should be, then you would do it to scale, which is a lot more money. And you can say that down across almost everything that Scott Walker claims to care about in his state of the state. But this is a perfect example of that. And so we're going to be calling attention to the fact that if he thinks it's an opiate epidemic, he should actually act like it. So with that, we need to wrap this podcast up. There's just I, before Brian kicks us. Yeah, no, this. I, and, oh, and wait, there's oh, so oh. there's more. The thing, of course, there's four times more spent on criminal criminal justice approaches in his opiate plan than to prevention. Again, going back to the archaic idea that somehow it's literally it's like crime, and if we throw people in jail, right. that we're going to do something about it. And uh, we'll see that at the federal level now. Uh, you know, that some of the Trump officials that are being appointed are all about, you know, cracking down the states that have uh, that have moved forward on marijuana, just for example. So we're, we're back to the old war on drugs here with not only with Walker's stuff, and that's his career, by the way. He's done a lot to throw uh, nonviolent drug offenders in jail as a state representative, uh, but it's also a big issue with the Trump administration. So, Jorna, when you're not fully engaged in the war on drugs this weekend, um, what are you going to be doing? Uh, I'm actually going up to Door County to uh, teach horseback riding lessons. Wow, that's that sounds awesome. Yeah, visiting the parents, I assume. Too. Uh, no, they have fled to their house in Arizona for the winter. Jeez. So um, must be rough. Yeah, They're I know. It's, it's weird having nice. snowbird parents. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Well, that sounds great. And uh, Robert, what you got going on this weekend? Well, 
<coughs> Matt, January 15th is a day of action. Action. So we'll Healthcare be action. leading an event that Citizen Action is the lead organization organizing with Senator Tammy Baldwin and Representative Gwen Moore in Milwaukee. Uh, and you mentioned the the other places that we're having in Appleton, in, in Wausau, in Eau Claire. And so we need to make it very clear what is being done by Republicans on health care. Because we would like to stop it because people will die. But we have to try to do everything we can to stop it. But if, if short of that, people need to understand who took away their health care. Uh, so that uh, that creates a firestorm in the midterm elections or the next presidential election. Yeah, yeah. I'm doing all that, too. Uh, thanks for covering that for me, Robert. Um, I'm also going to be uh, speaking at a Wisconsin Progress, a local elected leaders conference on Saturday with Anna Dvorak here from Citizen Action. Very excited about that. But when I'm not doing that and I come out of that uh, bunker, I'm actually uh, I'm going to see a concert uh, with Joel Gratz, of all people. Yeah, yeah. We're going to go see Tommy Hinson's uh, band on Friday night. His, uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the band. Uh, Brian probably knows. After uh, you come to our top 10 music party at Brenner Brewing. Uh, I, I'm going to try to stop by, and I don't know why you didn't mention that, because it's what? No, it's this weekend. Is yes. it already? It's the night of the podcast. So, Jorna, I'm a little disappointed that you didn't mention that as your furlough. Dude, I got a lot. Yes. Bash and Pop. That is who I'm going to see. Also, my friend uh, Jim Arndorfer is going. So, looking forward to that. Also, I want to thank my good friends, uh, uh, Becky and Mark, for getting ice tires and ice fenders on my kids' bikes. So, we'll be, hopefully, after uh, the healthcare rally, getting on the ice and hopefully not... uh, immediately going and partaking of the healthcare system. So well, you can get, you can go on a skating rink right outside our office in the alley. If you yeah. Want. Well, we might as well hook it up. I'm actually hoping we can uh, be in the Milwaukee Marina uh, Sunday afternoon riding. So looking forward to it. Want to thank, I guess I got one other furlough. Of course. I violated Matt's rules. No, no rules here. Is no rules Thursday. Taking my nephew Delano on a college tour of, Milwaukee School of Engineering on Martin Luther King Day. There He's still you go. making his college choices. There you go. That's that's excellent. That's excellent, Robert. So look, folks, uh, it's winter. It's tough. Uh, get out. There are a lot of events and actions and stuff around, as I mentioned, the uh, uh, Trump inauguration, a whole slew of them throughout the state. So get out and participate. And uh, we want to thank Brian Woolrich, who produces the podcast every week and makes it happen. And of course, Mel Barnes from Planned Parenthood joining us to talk about what's happening with the repeal in Planned Parenthood. Please, please join Planned Parenthood. Give them some money. But now is the time to get involved and help Planned Parenthood over 80 years here in Wisconsin. With that, we'll see you next week here at the Battleground, Wisconsin.